my friends the late Cardinal Ratzinger, then Pope Benedict, said that the primary purpose of a homily is to remind the people of God who they are, to help people understand what it means to be human. You know, many people have forgotten what it means to be human. Many do not know who they are. They don't know the extent to which they are loved by our Heavenly Father. They don't uh, understand the extent to which they have been forgiven, that their debt was taken away in the sacrament of baptism and over and over again in the sacrament of penance. This truth that we are beloved, that we are his, that God has forgiven us in the sacraments, he has poured forth his abundant mercy upon us, is at the heart of today's gospel. It is the gospel message. So too is the reality that we are all in this together. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Basic. Yet sometimes we forget who we are. Sometimes, if we don't know who we are, how can we possibly know who the other is either? And we act counter to what it means to be human. We forget that we become, that we are in Christ through grace, that we are a new creation. You know, last week Jesus spoke about fraternal correction, that each of us is called to speak truth with charity to our brothers and sisters, but in a particular way to those who sin against us. Our goal, of course, is their conversion. Our goal is always union. The evil one uh, brings discord. The Lord wants union. This week Jesus tells us what to do if this does not work. What if someone doesn't, someone continues to sin over and over against us? How often must we forgive them? Again, it is Peter. It is Peter who steps forward and asks this question. Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Peter, I'm sure, thinks he's being somewhat generous. It would have been Jewish law to have, you are required to forgive three times. Perhaps he's doubling that, adding one for good measure. He is getting to that uh, Jewish number for perfection, seven, and I'm sure he is thinking himself somehow to be generous. Surely there must be a limit. There has to be a limit in forgiveness. I cannot expect, honestly be expected to live in peace if someone is over and over again offending me, over and over again sinning against me, uh, yet I am supposed to continue to forgive. Well, what does Jesus say? He says, I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. And many, uh, I think, rightly believe that that's not the perfect the translation. A better translation is 70 times seven. Your math majors are doing the math, right? That's 490, right? Uh, and the Lord is uh, saying to us, he's telling us to be merciful as our Heavenly Father is merciful. He calls us to go beyond, to go beyond what might be considered natural human perfection and reach to the divine and its infinite possibilities in grace. 
You know, my, one of my go-to commentaries is Father Simeon, as you might know, and he said, what we human beings cannot possibly do on our own becomes possible because the incarnate word infuses into our fallen nature the Father's eternal capacity and desire to forgive. You know, last Sunday in the Gospel about fraternal correction, we spoke about the responsibility of the offended party, that the offended one is to uh, bring his brother or sister aside and try to correct privately. If that fails, one or two together, right? We know that process. We spoke about it last Sunday. Today, Jesus goes beyond all natural human instinct, and he doubles down. He does this by giving us the parable of the unmerciful servant. The kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king. Jesus is the king. And he shows us that it is just, it is just, it is right to forgive because we have all been forgiven. He's echoing, of course, uh, all of scripture, but in a certain sense, the, reading, the first reading today from the book of Sirach, Sirach, could anyone nourish anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? You know, I hope you like math. I love math, and uh, there's a lot of math in today's gospel. You know, because this parable, I think, is better understood when we understand some basic calculations. Today, we hear in English, huge amount. In the Greek, it says a myriad of talents. A myriad is the largest number in ancient Greek, 10,000. A talent was the largest monetary unit. It was worth 6,000 denarii. Of course, one denarii is a day's wage. One talent then, 10,000 days wages, was already, excuse me, 6,000 uh, days wages was already a huge amount. But a myriad of talents, 10,000 talents, is like infinity. You math majors know it's 60 million days wages. 240,000 years of wages about, right? An impossibility really to pay back. But the master ordered him to be sold along with his wife, his children, and all his property in payment of the debt. Our sin enslaves. Our sin enslaves even those around us. It imprisons. We are held captive. Others too, of course, by sin. We are not free. Sin acts counter to what it means to be human. Sin acts counter to what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ, the son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. The servant falls at the master's feet, it says, and does him homage, begging. It's what we ought to do each day. Beg, be patient with me, Lord, and I will pay you back in full. Of course, an impossibility, but the servant acknowledges the king's superiority. He humbles himself before him and begs for patience. He pleads for mercy. It's if he is saying, be long-suffering with me, Lord. And the king was moved, moved with compassion, compassion with his passion. He entered into his passion. He forgives his debt. The servant, each of us, was purchased for a price, set free of the yoke of slavery to sin 
through the yoke of the cross. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger and rich in compassion. If only the servant had done the same. But he acted counter to his own dignity, acted counter to the gift that he had just received. It says he was owed a much smaller amount. In English, in Greek, is 100 denarii, 100 days wages. Surely a difficult amount to repay, but surely one that's not impossible. But his fellow servant begs him, but he isn't merciful. He goes to choke the man. Sirach is very prophetic here in today's first reading. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tightly, and in this case, tightly around his brother's neck. My friends, God is infinitely more merciful than any of us here, and he does love us unconditionally, not because we are good, as I often say, but because he is good. There's nothing we have done that God cannot forgive. There's nothing that we could possibly do that he would not have the desire to forgive. And the Bible is littered with sinners. Moses, a murderer. King David, a murderer, but also an adulterer, right? St. Peter he denied their Lord to his face three times. It was always over and over again fumbling the ball. St. Paul, also a murderer. St. Dismas, the good thief, who knows what he did, but enough to be up on the cross. Surely not an evil man, it's just, and it's not just the guys, right? St. Mary Magdalene, a great sinner, and on and on. We are all sinners, but these men and women, uh, all great saints, they accepted God's love and his mercy. We are all called to imitate the Lord, imitate the God of love and mercy. This is what it means to be human, a beloved son or daughter of the Heavenly Father. This is how sons and daughters act, and Jesus showed us the way. And he calls us to be instruments of his love and mercy by forgiving those who offend us, by being merciful to everyone. And you know, the Lord, uh, we ask for patience, we'll immediately have an opportunity for patience, and he gives us opportunities also to demonstrate mercy. The servant left. He was sent out. He found a fellow servant. He found his brother. He was called to bring about that same mercy he had just received to him. He was called to bring freedom, called to bring peace and joy, called to, in a certain sense, to bring life to him. Instead, he attempted to choke the life out of his brother. Why did he act as he did? It's really even shocking when we read this gospel narrative, isn't it? Perhaps he was simply greedy. Perhaps he was just consumed by the material world. Maybe he just felt lucky to have finally escaped the master, escaped the king, unscathed. Continue to harbor a certain resentment toward the master, a contempt toward him. Maybe he was just in survival mode. He was not in thriving mode, right? He didn't see himself as free. He still saw himself as imprisoned. Perhaps like so many, he believed a lie. I'm unforgivable. I'm unlovable. The master is not possibly enough. I'm unredeemable, my sin too big. I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not whatever enough, and on and on and on. 
We begin to see ourselves as victims. We begin to see the other then as oppressors. But we are all brothers and sisters of the Heavenly Father, and he, my friends, is enough. He's more than enough. And we are called to forgive our brother from our heart. Our brother, our sister, our mother, our father, our friend, our co-worker, our classmate, our teacher, our boss, our priest, our bishop, and on and on and on to forgive all who sin against us. Sometimes the person we're called, though, to forgive is ourself. Ourself. I encounter so many people who are so sad, so imprisoned, so angry at times because they do not know who they are. They do not realize that they are his, his, and that they are beloved, and that they are, when they seek it, forgiven. You know, God is bigger than our sin. We ought to all let him take it. Visit that little room over there in the corner. Leave your sin, leave your sadness, leave your brokenness in the room of the confessional and find true freedom. Find real everlasting peace and joy. My friends, the manner in which we show mercy will be the standard by which God shows us mercy. We hear that in the first reading from Sirach. Forgive your neighbor's injustice. Then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. So to every day, perhaps many times each day, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray and forgive us our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us. This prayer ought to frighten us if we have unforgiveness, cancer, really in our hearts. Because that is the standard by which we will then be shown mercy. My friends, the huge amount we hear about in today's parable represents the incalculable debt each of us owes to our Heavenly Father. The reality of being human is to always be in God's debt. We owe God everything. He willed us into existence through the cooperation, of course, of our parents, fine, but he willed us into existence. If there was even a fraction of a second in each of our days we would, that he stopped thinking or loving on us, we would cease to be. We owe him everything. Of course, we owe him for the debt of our sin. That original sin taken away in the baptismal font, we are indebted to him still. The debt of our own personal sin that he takes away so often in the sacrament of penance. St. Cyril of Alexandria, I think, really understands this reality. And he says, indeed, the mystery of Christ runs the risk of being disbelieved precisely because it is so incredibly wonderful. My friends, it may seem too good to be true, but it is. God forgives and he forgets. Where sin abounds, Grace abounds all the more, except the grace. Share the grace, and may God be praised. Amen.